0: Some other best practices too. Like part of it is to be known, right? You got to be known and liked and trusted. Known, liked and trusted in order to get deals, especially the owner financing ones. And so, you know, some of the things we've intentionally done is to be known. And how you get known is like you actively participate, right? You go to all the local meetings, you get to know all the franchisees, you go out to lunch, like you create relationships with them. And then you go to the national conferences, you can participate on the franchise advisory committees. Like I'm on all the boards, of course. All that helps you become known. The other thing we've done is like during COVID, we were hosting, I was hosting Zoom mastermind calls for franchisees, for Midas franchisees. So I would put it on, Midas help promote it. But, you know, I'd get 70 franchisees on a call to talk for an hour about how do we drive, you know, gross profit, how do we do hiring, tires, alignments, whatever the topic I picked that day. And, you know, and so then me as the host of it becomes like the star of the show. So people get to know me. I also did interviews with like successful franchisees on that same like style of format. So anyway, if you're looking to buy, like you got to get known and, you know, you can leverage the internet and leverage community to make it happen.
1: Welcome to the Franchise Founders Podcast. We are on a mission to help aspiring entrepreneurs just like you take action through franchise ownership. Allowing you to obtain more financial freedom, time with family, and ultimately a business that can run on its own without you. Hello and welcome to the Franchise Founders Podcast. Very excited about this episode. And before I introduce our guest, I'm very excited about Brian being on this podcast because to the direction that we're looking to go, which is Working and talking with more franchisees, multi-unit franchisees especially, who could tell their story of how they went from one, two, three locations and expanded into an empire. It's pretty interesting. I've learned over the years that there's sometimes franchisees that have multi-units that are more more powerful or more financially... Capable than the franchise or they're a part of. It. It's unbelievable. If you look at, you know, Dunkin' Donuts, the second largest franchise Z next to Hess is two brothers that own and operate. I forget the exact amount of Dunkin' Donuts, but they've went from one to two. I have a friend of mine that owns 120 Popeyes. Him and his brother, they just kept acquiring them. And so the purpose of this episode is really to get into Brian's story and If you're a franchisee or a potential franchisee, a great way to learn about where you can go from one to multi-unit and how the opportunities are really endless as a franchisee. So without further ado, I've got Brian Beers here on the call. Brian is an entrepreneur who's grown a small family auto repair franchise business into 30 locations 30 enterprise locations generating over $32 million in revenue per year, and they're continuing to grow. Nowhere near done. They haven't scratched the surface. And what they do is they roll up franchises. They use owner financing to acquire a lot of the businesses and running a family business. So Brian, welcome to the show.
0: Awesome. Cool. Thanks for the intro and thanks for having me. Absolutely.
1: Really excited because I don't think we've had a guest in this type of background before. So I guess to start, could you just give a little
0: background in your story? Yeah, sure. So my family has been in the Midas business since, it goes back to the 60s. It was my dad's uncle had shops up in Boston. And it must have been pretty early in the days. I mean, less than 10 years old, You know, Midas at the time. I think it started in the 50s. And so... He came, he joined in the 60s, had success. I think he had eight or nine locations, just crushing it. And my dad in 1976 was 22 years old, looking for something to do. So, him and my granddad kind of started together with one location. And, you know, over the years, just opened up new locations, acquired kind of corporate locations, other franchisees, you know, bought and sold and, you know, supported our family all through life. And, uh, Anyway, 2010 comes along, I graduate college and decided I would join the family business and at the time we had six locations, you know, in the Philadelphia market and so I knew nothing about cars, I knew nothing about business besides what I learned in college and so I join, I start like networking with the franchisees, I try to learn best practices, I try to like breathe new life into the business because it was kind of Know, tired at the point my dad and uncle were ready to retire and kind of get out of it. And so I breathe new life and eventually take it over. And my brother joins in 2016. We decided, you know, we would start growing because it was the only way we could make more money because, you know, my dad owned the company. And so we acquired two locations that year. And then as a kind of separate entity that my brother and I owned, but ran it all as, you know, as one deal. And then the next year we bought another one and another one and another one. And then today we own 30 and we bought dad and my uncle out a couple of years ago. And anyway, yeah, now we're in Philly in North Jersey and a market called Allentown, about an hour north of here, so. You made that sound very easy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Amazing story, so really cool, first of all, that I don't have kids yet, but I always envision, probably a lot of business owners do, like their kids someday you know, getting into the business and taking it beyond where, you know, probably then the vision that your dad and uncle had. So that's really, really interesting. So, you got into it with six locations and you went and bought the first business and then another and another. Could you talk to that process of how you guys are able to continue to acquire
0: units? Yeah. So, most of ours, 24 of the 26 have been acquired with owner financing, which is basically a a simple process where instead of us going to the bank to buy out the business, the seller of the business becomes the bank. And so, you know, we negotiate. You know, the purchase agreement, we negotiate a note and collateral and, you know, we make a down payment to the seller and then we make monthly payments of, you know, principal and interest, just like you would a bank. But it has, we've gotten very good at it. I've done millions of dollars of acquisitions this way. And I think there's a couple unique things that it make it advantageous of doing it in a franchise versus like an independent business that I'd be happy to kind of dive into. But it's what has allowed us to grow with no outside money, no private money. I've only gone to a bank one time for an acquisition loan, which was the first one because I didn't know this existed. Yeah, And it's an amazing tool to let somebody grow and control ownership. And our model has just been like, a lot of the money we make, we're just putting back into the business to continue to buy more and kind of have this compound effect because yeah. you know we could get it Ridiculous return on our money by buying another shop, you know, than putting the stock market or real estate or anywhere else we could put it. So,
1: right. The multiple on the franchisee amounts of units is peas coming into that space too, as much as they do in the franchisor side too, if that's ever an exit goal. So, this is really interesting because you're able to acquire the business. Obviously, the seller knows that you're the best buyer is a strategic buyer. Yep. So they know you're going to work. The royalties are tracked, so it's kind of hard to like get around, you know, revenue numbers. Yep. I assume for the seller, the benefit too is, I mean, one, the tax liabilities are mitigated, right? Because it's extended over years. Are they getting a? And maybe it depends on each deal, but do they sometimes get themselves a premium
0: because they could get a higher multiple because it's stretched out? Yeah. So it goes both ways. I mean they're getting a price that no bank would finance one way or another, right? Like in some cases where they want too much money like for the cash flow that they're generating. So, you know, we're a value-add buyer in a lot of cases where we're buying underperforming locations and we know that are doing, whatever, $600,000 a year and losing money or breaking even. And, you know, our model is we go in there and we, you know, put our systems in place. Even though it's a franchise, like you still have your own systems. And so, you know, we put our systems, our people, our marketing, everything that we do. And, you know, we know that we can get that location in the first year, probably from 600 to 800, and it's starting to make money. And, you know, maybe some of them we can get to a million or more. And so, you know, the valuation that I put on the existing cash flow, I mean, we kind of determine a price based on that. But like, I know that my results are gonna be much better than what it's currently doing. And so in a lot of cases, yeah, like I bought a couple locations in Jersey that were basically losing money, three locations, basically losing money. And I Bought them for, I don't know, four hundred and seventy-five thousand total price. Right. But the deal was structured that we paid like fifty grand down and like six grand a month was the deal. So like we get into these three stores, fifty grand down, immediately we're going in there, like there's no lights in the building. Like the guys are wearing flashlights on their head. Like it's ridiculous. They have two people staffed in a store, where should have six. They need to be painted. Like so immediately we staffed the store, we fixed the lights, we fix the equipment. And I mean, one of the stores got pumping to over a hundred thousand a month in sales, like. Literally three months later, so Mm. that deal like has totally cash flowed, and so that's one half of it. The other part of it is we've done other deals where very good performing stores doing over one point one million a store, good cash flow, good business, and like I could have gone to the bank, I could have got a loan on that, but he was willing to do it an awesome deal. I put fifty grand down on that one to buy five locations, and it got a thirteen year note at like below market interest and. You know, just you can do anything you want with it. And so, once you have the trust and you're a good buyer, like, and you are a good operator and people want to do business with you, like, you can make it anything you want to make it.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. You're like a franchisor a franchisees because you're going in, you're applying best practices, and yeah. you have a management team. I assume maybe you even have some relationship. Like, if I was corporate, you guys are as a company exactly who I want to go to. I had looked at something where it was like that, where the franchisor said, Hey, look, like, if you want to buy to distress franchisee for a deal, because other things you're providing a soft landing for the business owner that maybe decides or realizes they're not a great owner of a Midas, you're giving them that opportunity to get out with a soft landing.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. You know, we try to be the easy button. And this is like what I recommend for anybody in the franchising is like be the person who's like easy to deal with. And that doesn't mean we're soft, but like, you know, we communicate well, like they're not waiting on us for things like our goal is to have a win-win scenario where there's other guys who have a reputation of being very difficult to work with and like throw temper tantrums or will pull out at the last minute or they don't treat their employees right. They have high turnover. They have bad customer reputation like where our goal is to keep everybody who's currently employed and give them a shot like in our system and some of them thrive. Some of the guys literally will double their income and because they're double in the business and just crush it under us and then other guys, yeah, they're not following. They're lazy like They're not for us, but like we give everybody a shot, we allow them to grow. And so, like, people like to work with us. If you can become that guy who's a good operator and you're friendly and people know you, like it's easy to get deals, at least in my opinion.
1: Yeah. And keep that culture no matter what. If you have a hundred or a thousand locations. Yeah. So, it's funny timing that we're talking about this because my background is in franchise development, lead generation at a company that was doing lead generation development and then exited in May. And, you know, for months, couldn't really wrap my head around the idea of not doing that. Cause it's what I did since I was like twenty-two years old. And then started taking some time to say, Oh, well, like what about franchisee, franchisor? Mm. you know, there's other ways to make a living and make an impact. And it's interesting because I was on Biz by Sell the other day. You know, I saw these tree businesses mm. and it's ignorant of me, but I couldn't believe one of them had seller financing of eighty percent. And I couldn't believe that. I called the broker and said, like, what's going on? What's wrong with this? And I'll have to pick your brain more. But I couldn't believe that I could seller finance one, buy the other. You know, you're putting 20% down with the seller financing in this deal. And then you could merge the two Mm. and take, you know, best practice, take managers and put them into it. And I guess for you, too, you're capitalized, right? So you're able to go in, like you said, paint the business and, you know, put the right amount of staff in there.
0: But a lot of times, honestly, we're using like the cash flow from the business that we just bought to pay for all that stuff. Right?
1: You're like, not living off that cash flow.
0: We live kind of conservatively, and our goal is just to kind of build this thing. And like, you know, you get a lot of buying power at scale. Like, we negotiate much better contracts with our vendors, like ridiculously better contracts. And my brother's like a great negotiator. He like beats the shit out of them because he's really just like, and I'm like, yeah, that's good enough. And he's like, no, we got to get better. But so you can leverage all that. And then we can leverage our people and we have the structure and the overhead. So for like district managers, right, that oversee X amount of stores and they have a couple, the markets have capacity. So I could add five more locations and not have a single dollar of additional like corporate overhead. Cause I've kind of got it all covered and we have we have capacity, we're not a capacity versus I go into a brand new market, then yeah, I need obviously we're gonna have overhead there. And so as you have scale, like it just becomes easier and more profitable to add locations and under 80%. I mean, I've gotten 90%, I've gotten 97%. But with the goal then of, honestly, then a lot of times, a lot of the cash flow from those new acquisitions is just going right back into the business to upgrade all the things that yeah are deferred maintenance. Like we joke that like we're not going to make any money the first year because it's all just like, I mean, on the P&L, there might be money, but all the cash is going back into the business, which is fine. Like, and that's our goal is then we're good for then years, right? And especially in a, a capital-intensive business like Midas where there's equipment and roofs and all the crap. But it's fine. If you're enjoying this episode, please click the subscribe button.
1: And make sure to connect with the Franchise Founders Podcast on LinkedIn. As a corporation, between 30 units, you've got 32 million in... Yeah,
0: 36, but yeah.
1: Thirty six. Well it went up since you filled out your form. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, know it's been a while. Yeah, we, we did another acquisition. Yeah, that's that part of it.
1: Some of them, I guess it's like a hockey stick, right? You're putting front load in the caches going into improving it and then it goes up. So I imagine the overall margin is pretty strong on that.
0: Yeah, from a P&L, it's not bad, but like so a lot of my growth has been recent. Like we had 12 locations last May and today of 30. So we've Whoa. Yeah. So like we did a seven chunk and then a 3 and then a 1 and then a 5 wow. and then a t- whatever like cuz we lined up these things and they take like 6 months to close so some of these like we're finishing up a deal and then we're starting conversations on the next one but the time that one closes it's 6 months later and so anyway right now we're kind of like really getting our feet under cuz you know as the company grows in size like the management structure changes like how i need to manage it is completely different from when i was running six locations by myself to now you know running a team of people the coo and five district managers and the big infrastructure. Like, you can read all the books you want, but like, once you start doing it, you know, it's way different.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. What does that work chart look like, Brian? So, like, what is, yeah, what does the work chart look like?
0: Yeah. So, currently, it's my brother and I, you know, I'm the president. He's like vice president. On the operations side, we have a COO who we recently hired 20 years in the military, like chief staff, special ops, like really systems organized, great with people. And then he oversees, we have five district managers, and each one of those five district managers, Oversees roughly six locations each. They'll be kind of the direct report for those locations, with you know hiring and, and customer service issues, and training, and maintenance, and whatever all the stuff related there. And then each store has like a store manager, usually an assistant manager, and then you know anywhere from three to six technicians. I assume you need a CFO with all the. Oh yeah, so that's like operations. And then on the office side, yeah, we have a CFO. We actually only have two in US people, and then the rest of our staff is all in the Philippines. Bookkeeping and. Yeah, they do accounts payable and general accounting. And, you know, we've, I don't know, six or I don't, I don't even know, it keeps growing. Wow. Because we have a lot of accounts payable. I mean, we buy millions of dollars of automotive parts and tires in like $100 increments. And so there's a lot of like reconciling that, and that we're still figuring all that stuff out. There's just a tremendous amount of volume and kind of due diligence on our side to ensure we have good profitability there.
1: Yeah, and now a lot of our listeners are you know potential franchisees or maybe already and they're thinking expanding. So with yep. your brother, like when you talk about partnerships, it sounds like you have opposite skill sets, right? Like, what would you say yep. the difference between you guys?
0: Yeah, so he's like really good with the technology in the back office, and you know a lot of the things we do are kind of tech focused, where we you know have our own like reporting suite and can pull all the numbers. Like we have better reporting than the corporate does. And some of the yeah. hundred-plus franchisee locations who were three or four times bigger than us, like our systems are as equivalent. Like you know, we built them through Excel macros and SQL and shit. So anyway, he runs all that, and then kind of like you are a lot of more on the back office administrative side of it, and then I'm more the front-facing, kind of working with the operations side of it and the relationships with the other franchisees and kind of the growth side of it as well.
1: Yeah, I assume like the acquisition side is somewhat of a full time job too, right? Navigating those deals and
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so like one of the best practices we have is we have this thing called a deal tracker and every Monday we kind of go through it and say, Hey, what are the, you know, we have high priority, medium, low, whatever, and any of the high priority stuff, whether it's a deal or like a new technology we're rolling out, like we're rolling out digital inspections, like they're using an iPad to inspect the cars or whatever. Or it's like, hey, this is a lead in our funnel, another location, another market, then we're just you know, Every week, like, is there an update? Is there an action we need to do? Whether it's a touch point, you know, work on the analysis, or some of them just say, Hey, they said they want to touch base in November or December, or whatever it is, and we'll just put a due date and circle back then and touch base. So, kind of have this constant rhythm of staying up on the things because otherwise, like, I don't know, you forget about deals and they fall through. And, you know, we've kind of been pretty active about it.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because yours is all in one. Franchise systems. I assume conferences are a great acquisition opportunity, you know, lead gen for you. Yeah.
0: yeah. Some other best practices too. Like part of it is to be known, right? You got to be known and liked and trusted, known, liked, and trusted in order to get deals, especially the owner financing ones. And so, you know, some of the things we've intentionally done is to be known. And how you get known is like you actively participate, right? You go to all the local meetings, you get to know all the franchisees, you go out to lunch, like you create relationships with them. And then, you go to the national conferences, you could participate on the franchise advisory committees. Like I'm on all the boards, of course. All that helps you become known. The other thing we've done is like during COVID, we were hosting, I was hosting Zoom mastermind calls for franchisees for Midas franchisees. So I would put it on, might helped help promote it. But you know, I'd get 70 franchisees on a call to talk for an hour about how do we drive, you know, gross profit, how do we do hiring, tires, alignments, whatever the topic I picked that day. And, you know, so the me as the host of it becomes like the star of the show. So people get to know me. I also did interviews with like successful franchisees on that same like style of format. And so anyway, I mean, if you're looking to buy, like you got to get known and, you know, you can leverage the internet and leverage community to make it happen.
1: Yeah, it's amazing what you can do I was just on a podcast before this one. I was talking about if you're a franchisor, you just started franchising, you should be like a lunatic, like Ray Kroc in the movie The Founder on the golf course. What do you do? Franchise your family. You try to sell units to your, you know, (laughs) next door neighbor. (laughs) That's gonna
0: be you. Maybe
1: we'll we'll see. So I'm in a transition right now, right where I'm deciding what to do next. I hate it, quite frankly, because there's so many options. I just want to choose one and just. So yesterday was calling me. I was like, look, if it's not. At this point, if it's not in this narrow parameters of what I think I'm going to do, I don't really want to hear about it because it's easy to get pulled in a million directions. Oh, yeah.
0: A shiny object. Yeah, I have that.
1: Yeah. Just like do one thing. And I mean, like for you, like just repeat this, get to 100, 200 locations. I can't even imagine what that would look like.
0: Yep. Yeah. And at a certain point, you got to decide. I mean, this is what we're trying to battle now or figure out is like, you know, there's two different paths you go. One path is you say, hey, we're going to stay local, we build it out. You know, we can build out probably fifty locations within a an hour and a half radius. If we went down to DC, Baltimore, we added new locations. We built new locations, right? We go up north a little bit. That's like one option. Or there's this other option that says, Hey, I'm willing to get on a plane, I'm willing to deal with different time zones. Then like, yeah, you go anywhere in the country. But it also kind of complicates the business to a degree too. That's the next step for us, is just figuring out how complicated do we want to make it.
1: I have a feeling in a year, if we get back on a podcast, you'll be all over the Yeah, probably. I know.
0: <laughs> A lot of it's now. It's because we're still settling in and just getting our feet under from a lot of the recent growth. But yeah, we can figure it out. I mean, that's one of my big mantras: is like, why not me? Like, if other people can do it, like, why can't I do it? Like, they're not any smarter and I'm any more educated. You know, why not? Why can't I figure it out? So I think if someone believes that and they truly believe it, like, they can do anything they want in the world. So
1: yeah, a little grit and tenacity and some momentum too. Right? You've got the momentum now to pull you kind of.
0: Yeah. Yep.
1: Very cool. So you're doing that, you're doing the Volta unit ownership, and you're also, I think recently you met, before we started recording, you started doing some franchise coaching as well?
0: Yeah, yeah. So I have a podcast, Business with Beers. I've had it for, I don't know, I'm I'm about to launch my 100th episode now. And so, and I'm active on Twitter and and talking about all this stuff. How do we buy a franchise? How do you build a franchise? How do you build wealth through franchising? Like a lot of people just aren't talking about it, right? Because they think it's like chucking a truck or whatever and they think it's small and they think you're basically a corporate employee and blah, 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 which is could be true if you want that to be true. There's another story that says it can, you can build a eight-figure business out of it, a nine-figure business out of it. And they're just guys like me and you. Like, it's nothing special, we just work the process. So anyway, I'm working on teaching people that. And so yeah, I have a lot of people come to me asking, how do I find a franchise, which I look for, which I look out for? How do I run due diligence? And so yeah, I've started doing franchise consulting, coaching, brokerage, whatever you want to call it, but basically just help play matchmaker.
1: There's a million names for it. At
0: the end of the day, the goal is just to help people find something that fits them. Like, And what fits me is going to be different than what fits you or anybody else. So that's what really matters, just find someone who listens and knows what the hell they're talking about.
1: Well, let me know when you want a reverse invite to your podcast. I'll be one-on-one. Yeah,
0: happy to. Yep, yep. Franchise Fridays. I'm launching a second series to be 100% focused on franchise. Because then I also talk to real estate guys and like scaling just businesses in general and all that stuff. So, Do you like send beers or do people get beers before? One or two have, but most people don't. Because it's usually like 10 a.m. and it's way too early to ruin your day.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's true. Oh, very cool. So... If the audience wants to get in touch with you, pick your brain about you know multi-unit, how do they get in touch, Brian?
0: Yeah, so a couple different ways. I mean, if they're on Twitter, just at Brian Beers. Like I said, I'm pretty active there. I'm also on LinkedIn a little bit. And then I have a website, brianbeers.com. I'm sure you'll link it all up that has a link to a newsletter. But yeah, happy to reach out. Happy to set up a call, chat about it. I love it. And I think it's an awesome opportunity for people. So, Well, thanks for joining us. Yeah, cool. Thanks for having me. It's been fun.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Franchise Founders Podcast. If you want our help with anything from buying a franchise to franchising your business to anything in between, shoot us an email at franchisefounders at gmail.com.